Right, one of the most familiar passages, Jesus washing his disciples' feet, John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God as one and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now that what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done to you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so that I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he I tell you the truth, whoever accepts, anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Well, uh, g'day everyone. Uh, My name is Scott. Good to be with you here this morning. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. Really glad to see you. I want to start by telling you about uh, Mr. Roden. 
I wish I had a picture of Mr. Roden. He was my, one, of my, uh, one of the science teachers at my high school. Uh, I wish I had a picture of him because he was a really big kind of guy. He had to walk with his arms a little bit to the side because his muscles kind of just took up this space here. But, but at the same time as being a really big guy, he had, um, like, his hair was very, very, very blonde, like the kind of blonde you see on young children. And he kind of spoke in a high voice. Some of the students in the, in the few years above me uh, were a little bit mean and gave him a nickname. They called him the Milky Bar Kid. Uh, Mr. Roden taught me chemistry in final year. And uh, I wasn't the best chemistry student. Um, Mr. Roden, if we're fair, probably wasn't the best chemistry teacher either. Uh, Without fault, every time we would do an experiment in class, which when you're doing chemistry, that's really the high point of class, where you're doing chemistry to do the experiments. Every time we'd go to do an experiment in class, uh, Mr. Roden... Uh, set, set it all up, he got us going, and then the experiment would be a dud, it wouldn't work, nothing happened. And so he'd kind of run next door to check out with the science teacher just across the hall, and he asked, what do I need to do, what do I need to do? And he'd come back, he'd make a few tweaks, and then suddenly the experiment would work again. Uh, in fact, there was one day when an experiment worked first time perfectly, just as he'd planned. We joked with Mr. Roden at this point, oh, sir, you should kind of quit now. This is, this is the moment. Walk out. Don't come back again. He didn't. He, he stayed teaching us. We had a small class uh, doing chemistry. And in, in some ways, like, we were, we were a high school student, so we weren't particularly nice. Amongst ourselves, we, we all talked about wanting a different teacher, that he wasn't that good. We wanted the teacher who was across the hall. I put my hand up. I was, I was, I was doing that too. But, but one day he changed everything. That was a new term. We're about to start a new topic. And Mr. Roden walked in and he thumped down on the table in front of us uh, a complete set of notes for the term ahead. I don't know how many hours he put into getting these together for us. But I do know that there wasn't many nights in the lead up to this where he was just kicking back in front of the telly. At that moment, I realized he cared. It changed my perception of him. And then, it, it, for me, it changed the way I, I worked as a student. So, what's that got to do with anything? Well, last year, we started this series going through the book of John. Craig mentioned before, we've, been, we've gone through the first 12 chapters. In that first half of the book, we, we, we saw Jesus, he's out and about, he's amongst the people. He keeps doing signs that, uh, that show us who he is, the miracles that say to us, Jesus is not your average Joe. But today we get into the second half of the book, and it starts off very differently. Jesus isn't out and about amongst the crowds, he's, he's inside. He's just there with a few close friends. And he knows that very soon he's about to be executed. But before this happens, he has a few things that he wants his friends to know. And today we get just the first snippet of that. And this is the one thing that really sets us up for everything that's to come. Today we're going to see Jesus do something that's going to change the way 
his friends live. I was changed a little bit when my high school teacher showed that he actually cared for us. But, but Jesus' friends are going to undergo something far bigger, far more profound. I changed from being a slack student, but this is going to reshape the lives of all of Jesus' disciples, which means that as we listen in, we're going to be called on to make that same change too. So are you ready? Here we go. The first thing we see is this. Jesus has deep, self-denying love for his people. As we were reading before, you would have noticed the first few verses really kind of just set the scene for us about what's happening. And amidst all of that, we get one sentence, one sentence that really captures the essence of what Jesus is doing. Partway through verse 1, we read, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. You hear a lot about Jesus today. Some people think he's a good teacher. Some people think he was misunderstood. Some people think he was a rebel. Some people think he was whatever. But if we want to figure out Jesus, if we want to get Jesus right, here's the one thing we really need to grab hold of. Jesus loves. And straight away, for us with modern ears, that can sometimes sound a little bit strange because we often associate love with romantic love, which is just not what's going on here. But Jesus does have a, a deep love. It's not superficial. It's not on the surface level. You get a sense of how deep his love is when you see what Jesus knew. So look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God, and that he was returning to God. Anyone seen this movie, Bruce Almighty? Yeah, a couple of nods, a few people. Uh, Jim Carrey plays Bruce. Uh, in, the, in the movie, Bruce gets angry with God. He thought he was going to get a promotion and he didn't get it. And instead, actually, he got sacked from his work. And so he's a bit miserable. And along the way he's going home, he complains that God should be the one who gets fired, not him. And so, of course, there's a series of events where Bruce meets God and, uh, and gives God a piece of his mind. And God says to Bruce, well, you take over for a few days. In the words of the passage we just read, God was putting everything under Bruce's power. And there's this great scene where you see Bruce come to grips with the power that he's been given. He's sitting there in a little uh, cafe, diner, and he's got a bowl of tomato soup. And he kind of focuses all his energy into the tomato soup. And suddenly the soup kind of starts swirling around and eventually it kind of, the soup is formed in two, it goes to two parts, one on either side of the bowl. He's parted the bowl of soup like God did with the Red Sea in the Old Testament. And he thinks, oh, this is great. So he walks outside and uh, he starts kind of just bursting fire hydrants with a look at them. He, he finds some thugs who gave him a hard time the day before and he beats them up. Uh, he, he gets his job back. He uses his power to impress his girlfriend. And everything for his personal gain, there he is with his bowl of soup. What about you? What would you do if you had the power of God for just one day? 
Look at what Jesus does. In verse 3. Again, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God, was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped the towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Everything is his. All power has been given to Jesus. And what does he do? In a deep act of love, he stoops to wash the feet of his friends. And did you notice the level of detail here? Every little moment is captured so precisely. It's like, it's like a, a slow-mo effect when you're watching the cricket. It gives us a chance to, to stop and see what's actually going on. To put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples who were there. Jesus gets up from the meal and they're thinking to themselves, well, what's he doing? He takes off his outer clothing. Well, that's strange. What's he doing that for? Wraps a towel around his waist. Hang on, he's not really going to do what I think he's going to do, is he? He pours water into a basin. No, 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 he can't be. But then he does it. He begins to wash their feet. Jesus really does stoop down. He washes dirty feet that have been walking along roads of dust and dirt and animal poo all day. Feet that haven't been enclosed in the nice new Nikes. Feet that stink, toes that are callous, nails that are gritty and grimy. He washes feet as an act of deep, deep love. But there's more to it than just that. The foot washing is symbolic of something even greater, an act of love that's even greater. You see this when Jesus gets to Peter. Now, Peter's always been the kind of over-enthusiastic friend of the group, the most unrestrained one. And as Jesus goes around, no one says anything until Jesus gets to Peter. And then Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Uh, imagine for a moment you, you're at a dinner party, you've been invited along, and unbeknownst to you, uh, the Queen has been invited along as well. Wow, that's pretty special. You think, well, this is going to be a story to tell. And so you're eating away, dinner gets finished, plates get cleared, you know dessert is coming. And at that moment, before dessert gets there, Queen Lizzie stands up and she kind of takes off her designer cardigan, puts it over to one side, and she pops out a pair of rubber gloves and puts them on. She fetches a bottle of cleaner from the cupboard and then pulls out a brush and off she goes to the toilet to clean the toilet. Surely at that moment, it's going to cause a little bit of embarrassment, isn't it? Surely at that moment, someone stands up and says, oh, no, 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 ma'am, let me. That's what Peter recognises. That's what Peter does. He, he realises that for certain people, that there are jobs that they just don't do. So Peter says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, no, 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 that's not for you. But Jesus insists, and they end up going back and forth a little bit. Jesus says to Peter, you don't now realise what I'm doing, but you will later. But Peter, who's, again, ever so unrestrained, shoots back at Jesus. 
No, he says, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus insists. Look at what he says. He says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. It's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? A bit strong of Jesus to say this. Surely letting Jesus wash his feet isn't that important, really? But, but that's just it, isn't it? This is about something bigger than washing feet. The feet washing, it's a sign. It's, it's a symbol. It's pointing us to that greatest act of love where Jesus goes to the cross to wash us clean of sin. Did you ever go to one of those uh, school camps, the kind of camp where you, um, uh, where you get put into a dorm room with about you know, 10 other people, you're sleeping there together? You know what I'm talking about? You know the kind? Do you remember what happens in the boys' rooms after a day or two? Somehow, an odour develops. Doesn't matter where you go, where the boys are from, it, it's, it's, it's true universally. It smells of part wet towel, part old sock, and really just a large amount of BO thrown in there. The boys who are staying in the room, they don't notice a thing, right? They, they've been in there, they're used to it, it's normal to them. But to anyone else who gets within a few metres of that front door there... He, you're repulsed. Be prepared because what's going to hit you is very, very foul. You know what I'm talking about. Teachers in the room here, uh, you've experienced this. Uh, to God, that is what sin is like. It's, it's morally foul, morally repulsive. When we live lives that are out of step with God, lives that ignore God... And push him out of the picture. That, that's what sin is. It, it kind of creates this, this scum, this yuckiness. You see it in the news day after day. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we, we see it in our own lives too. God is repulsed by it. We might not think it's that bad because we're like the boys in the dorm room. We've just become used to it. It's normal for us. But to God, we've become kind of morally stinky in need of a, a good wash, unacceptable. And so Jesus goes to the cross. And by his death for us, he makes us clean. To keep using the metaphor, it's, it's his blood that shed, that washes us. So that Jesus can say, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And this then is the ultimate act of love that Jesus has for his people. A love that is deep and self-denying. Despite all the power he has, despite who he was, Jesus loved his disciples to the end. He went right to the nth degree, to the cross for them, to cleanse them to wash them, to bring them back to God their Father. Friends, do you see the love that Jesus has for his people? It is a love that costs him everything. And it's a thing of beauty, isn't it? Uh, 
Valentine's Day, I believe, is just around the corner. And I don't mean to be cheap or corny here, but, but nothing that happens on Valentine's Day compares to this. Because this is not some guy with a quick romantic gesture hoping to get lucky later on. He, he, here is the Lord of the universe who stoops to show you his love, who, who has his body broken for you because he loves you. Have you ever had someone who loved you as deeply and as intensely as this, even at a great cost to themselves? Friends, do you see the love that Jesus has for you? If you are following Jesus today, if you're following Jesus with your life, then this is really where we need to have our eyes set on the cross. Where we see the love of God for us. This is where our hearts need to be. Our hearts need to meditate day after day, night after night. If, 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 if ever we're in doubt that our God might love us. This is where we need to return to again and again. Go back to the cross and see the love that Jesus pours out for you. If you're here today and this whole Jesus thing has never really been your thing, I hope today you actually just get at least a little sense of how beautiful Jesus is. I hope today you also maybe can begin to see why Jesus is the kind of God that you could trust. Because if he's willing to do that for you, if he's willing to be crucified so that you can be washed, if, if Jesus is willing to love you that much, isn't he the kind of God that you could trust? Isn't he the kind of God that you could follow? Isn't he the kind of God that is actually worth living for? If you do want that for yourself, I'd say don't wait around. Do something about it today. Come and grab me later. Talk with the person you came to. Uh, about 20 years ago, I started following Jesus. And I can say, hand on heart, he has never once let me down. I know I've let him down plenty of times, but he's never let me down. His love has never waned. Life hasn't always been easy, but Jesus has always been there. Why not start following Jesus today? Jesus has deep, self-denying love for his people. That's really what we've seen so far. But the next part is then where the rubber really hits the road for us. Because Jesus calls his people to that same deep self-denying love. That's the second point for today. Jesus calls his people to deep self-denying love. Uh, we pick it up in verse 12. When he, that is Jesus, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, when I was a teenager, I played um, rugby league. And I'm sorry, but you'll have to forgive me. I know I'm in AFL heartland here. But where I grew up, um, we thought crows were nasty birds, not football teams. Um, anyhow, I had a coach. Most of the time I played rugby league, I had this one coach. His name was Ron, Ronnie. And Ronnie was a hard coach. I can still hear his voice in the back of my head telling me, Go, Scotty, go! In pre-seasons, Ronnie would make us run more kilometres than I care to remember. He, up sand, uh, sand dunes, up hills, whatever it took to, to get us fit for the season ahead. And then during the season, he'd make us train with the, with the uh, team full of guys that were older than us, to teach us to toughen up a little bit. We did sprints, we tackled till we dropped. It, was, it could be gruelling at times, but none of us had a reason to complain because... Ronnie, our coach, did everything with us. He ran the caves. He was part of the drills. He set the culture by what he did. And in some ways, that's what Jesus has just done here. He said, if you're with me, I love you. I'm going to wash your feet as, as a sign of, saying, of, of showing you what I'm really going to do when I get to the cross. And then he sits down and he, and he gathers everyone around again and he says, now guys, if you're with me, if you've let me love you, well, that's what you do too. I've washed your feet. Now, he says, go and wash one another's feet. And he's not saying that literally. It's not saying that afterwards we're going to all have to kind of get our own basin, fill it up with water and get a hand towel and go around and try and scrub each other's toes. And he's also not saying that we have to be crucified, which is what the foot washing was pointing to. Because you know, Jesus has done that once and for all. There's no need for anything like that to happen again. What Jesus is saying is this. Whatever it takes, no matter, no matter how low and dirty, no matter how unseen it is, whatever it takes now for you to love one another, that, that's what you do. Go and do that. If you're one of my people, who, if you've been washed by me, if you've, if you've tasted my love for you, then well, now you know, that's the kind of way that we do things around here. As I was sitting down this week and been thinking about what, what does this mean for us, I've just been struck by how big this is, right? It's not just something that we can pick up now and again. Loving each other like this is it's going to take over all of our lives. We do this kind of thing when, we, um, when we're in our serving teams. Yeah, yeah, we do. And our serving teams do a great job at loving us in different ways. And um, Probably there's been more serving teams that have helped us get to this point today when we're actually able to sit here. There's probably more people that have served us than we even realise. Our serving teams do a great job of this, but it's, it's much bigger than what we just do in our serving teams. This is a, a new pattern to the whole of our lives. It's, if you've been loved by Jesus, now we copy this pattern of deep, self-denying love in, in all our lives. How do you feel about doing this, I wonder? How do you feel about doing this? Look, if, if you're here today and, and you know that for you, you're, not just, you, you're just not a follower of Jesus yet, I, I'm really glad you're here. I really am. Um, but I do just want to be clear on this one thing now. Jesus is not asking you to do this today. This is for those who follow Jesus, who've been washed by him. 
This is how, how they're to treat each other. So if that's you, if, 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 if you're here and you're not following Jesus yet, the thing that Jesus really wants you to wrestle with today is this. Can you trust Jesus with your life? Will you let Jesus lovingly stoop and serve you? That's what Jesus wants you to wrestle with today. But, but if you are here and, and you are already following Jesus, I want to ask that question again. How do you feel about being called to love like Jesus does? Because it's big, isn't it? At times I reckon, you know, yeah, I'd be more up for this if only the people around here were just a little bit more lovely. But that's just it, isn't it? The people around us, the people here in church with us, beside you today, these are the people that Jesus is asking us to love, asking you to love deeply and self-denyingly. How do you feel about doing this? I was thinking about this and I thought, I don't know how you feel about doing this. But I do know that I see you do this. Uh, I see and hear of community groups that have spent last year really caring for one another and especially groups that have cared for, for vulnerable members. I've seen leaders of serving teams and, and, and leaders in the leadership team who've been willing to make hard changes, but changes that will help us better care for church as a whole. I've seen, seen meal rosters for new mums that just get filled up time and time again. People who are in hospital getting visitors come and see them regularly. People who get on the phone to check up on someone who they know has been crook. Others who go out of their way to do airport pick-up, airport drop-off. Those who help out with families from other kids just to, well, just to help out. And there's more, more ways. But I just want to say, friends, I think you're doing it. So, so keep doing it and keep doing it. Even when it's hard and tricky, even when it's going to cost you, keep doing it, keep at it. Because... That's what self-denying love is. It costs. Keep at it. And as you keep at it, don't forget the promise that Jesus makes in verse 17. He says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. There's a blessing for us if we love each other in this way. But there is one thing that stops us from living out this life of love. And it happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. When, when we try to love, but we forget how much we've been loved. This leads us to kind of just doing things by going through the motions. Doing things out of a sense of obligation only. And eventually when that happens, we become resentful. Tired of doing it and resentful that we do it. So I say, this year, let's keep our eyes set, set on Jesus, on the love that he has shown us. Here's just a few ways we could do that. We could be here as often as we can on a Sunday, as often as we can be here on a Sunday to, to remind each other of the love that Jesus has shown us and to be reminded ourselves 
Same thing about community groups. As we meet during the week, again, reminding each other of the love Jesus has for us, the love that be there as much as we can. And, you know, if community groups don't work out for you for some reason, is there a friend you could call or meet with, you know, once a week, once a fortnight, once a month, whatever it is, but, but maybe together you could read the Bible. Remind yourself of the love Jesus has for you. In your own, why not try and find a space this year in your own time to read through one of the four Gospels for yourself? Remind yourself firsthand there of Jesus' love. You know, if you sat down and got um, uh, Mark's Gospel, one of the biographies of Jesus, you could probably get through most of that in a couple of hours. What a great way to spend two hours. Does Christian music or, or, or Christian podcasts, do they help you keep your mind focused on Jesus' love for you? If that's the case, make space for those things in your week. Does, does it help for you to, to write something down, to journal about your, your walk with Jesus? Is that what helps you keep your eyes focused on the love of Jesus? Then do that. And if you get stuck, um, uh, well, phone a friend, ask somebody. Talk, talk about it together and see what's worked for the other and see if that might work for you as well. But you get the picture, right? Whatever it takes for you to have your eye set on Jesus, to not lose sight of the love that he has for you, do that. Because it's when we know the deep, self-denying love that Jesus has for us, when we know that, well, that's when we're able to love each other. In the same way, let me pray for us and thank God for what he's done. Our God in heaven, you are so, so good. We thank you so much for Jesus who loves us. We praise you for his love that came at a deep cost to himself. We praise you for his deep, deep love for us and ask that you would help us be in wonder of that day after day, night by night. We pray that you'd help us to have that same love for one another. Help us to see ways that we can love each other in our own lives, in the different ways that we're able. Help us, Father, to see ways that we can do that, even when it costs ourselves. And we pray, Father, for your help, that as we do that, not to lose sight of Jesus who's first loved us. We pray that our loving of each other would be empowered by his loving of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.